0: The defense was up today in day seven of Kyler Hughes double murder trial. The prosecution rested its case on Saturday. So the defense began calling its witnesses today. And listeners, if you can remember back to opening statements, one of the defense's main arguments in this case is that investigators Focused on Kyler Hughes from the very beginning and didn't really follow up on leads about other potential suspects. Um, So they kind of started trying to paint that picture today and present other suspects, Jessup Carter and a guy named Billy Bays, uh, just to name two. So overall, it was kind of an odd day in court. His defense team got off to a rocky start with some no-show witnesses and debates about the relevance and accuracy of some of the witnesses who did show up. And so we're going to walk you through all that today. I'm Haley Godburn. I'm here with Sarah Plake, who was our courthouse reporter today. Sarah, can you tell us how the day started off and at what point you saw it kind of start to go downhill for the defense?
1: Yeah. So like you said, when we heard from some of those witnesses um, and then the judge didn't end up permitting it. So it, it was called an offer of proof, and this is where uh, the potential witness will uh, testified before the judge only. The jury's not in the room. Um, and so then based on what they say, the judge will make a decision and say, yeah, the jury can hear this or or the jury can't. So there were a couple of witnesses that I think the defense really wanted to put, you know, to put on the record, but they couldn't. Um, yeah, one of them was about Jessup Carter, was about this supposed encrypted note um, that was left in his jail cell. And it had some like symbols or something. So they wanted this expert to come in, testify about what it could possibly mean, but it had a variety, it could mean a variety of different things. Um, and the prosecution reminded the judge like, hey, Jessup Carter is not on on trial here. Uh, Kyler used And so that approach or that tactic was kind of uh, flushed down the toilet really, because I mean, now that's kind of less ammunition they have to show that maybe Jessup could have done this and not Kyler.
0: Yeah. I feel like that was something I heard a few times from the state today was that, you know, it's Kyler used on trial, not Jessup Carter. And Jessup Carter is not even alive to speak for himself anymore. So another suspect, the, or potential suspect, the defense was appeared to try to cast some, some doubt on today was Billy Bays. I mentioned his name earlier and. Um, it was kind of thrown around in the Kapetsky case after he allegedly made some statements about knowing what happened to her. Um, but today, under oath, he denied saying any of those things and denied even knowing the person he supposedly said them to. Another point in the defense's opening statements last week was about use alibi. And they touched on that a little bit today with discussion about his grandfather and his aunt. So, Sarah, what did you get from the reading of his grandfather's deposition today, and there was also a paralegal that testified about um, some interactions with his aunt.
1: Yeah, the paralegal thing was so convoluted, and um, so that paralegal, she works for the Missouri State Public Defender's Office, and she had gone up on the stand a few times um, as an offer of proof, um, just to just for the judge to be able to clarify whether the jury could hear it. Finally, she did testify before the jury. Um, but so she worked for the public defender's office, right? And she was told to find some records from Ascension, um, which oversees Carondelet. And it's um, one of those nursing homes. It's in, it's in Kansas City, um, I believe South Kansas City. But um, And that was to show medical records from Kyler's aunt, which I'm assuming would include who came to visit her. So I think what the defense wanted to do was get these records um, or point out that the police did not get these records. Um, and by the time they maybe try to look into it, all those records had been purged. And so by the time this paral- you know because they, they don't this was 2007 so uh, when Carl went missing. So um, they you know the records don't exist. And so in this paralegal, tried to get the records, found out they didn't exist. And then, um, you know, she could have gotten a subpoena to try and get the records, um, but instead she said she went to go meet um, this guy in this office building who works for Ascension, um, who filled out this affidavit. She notarized it, but the affidavit wasn't completely filled out. of missing some of those key parts that you would expect in an affidavit like you know um just kind of who what when where why and so it was it was really convoluted the way um you know the, the prosecution was going back and forth saying this is not relevant there are no records she didn't get a subpoena for them anyway um but at the end of the day the jury ended up listening you know hearing that that there there were no records So I, it it was just a big process. It was just like a big to do. And it was the same thing about quick trip. Like, I think the defense was trying to say that there, there might be some guy who was working at QT back in 2007, um, who may have seen Kara Kapetsky. but again, those employment records were not saved. Um, but the jury didn't end up hearing about the quick trip thing.
0: Right. And so speaking of possible sightings of Kara, um, there was another one that was brought up in court today. I think her name was Deborah Heflin uh, was the witness. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. said that she saw Kara in a neighborhood and saw a car full of boys drive by and then heard a blood curling scream. So can you can you talk about that testimony and kind of how the, maybe the legitimacy of it um, and why the defense is even bringing this up?
1: Right. So the defense, their, their tactic is to, you know, try to, try to disrupt the prosecution's timeline and try to create reasonable doubt. So Deborah Heflin, she lived like down the street from Dalton High School in 2007 on Lacey Lane. And um, so she said that, and I'll get into detail in a second, but she basically said that she thinks it might have been 1130 or 12. Um, and she saw someone that she later realized was Kara Kipetsky um, walking down the street and you know in the middle of the day on the phone distraught crying so if you stop it there eleven thirty or 12 all right we'll rewind back to when the um you know investigators were testifying that they looked through her phone records and all her phone activity stopped after you know ten twenty five a.m so that that disrupts you know Deborah Heflin claiming she might have seen car at 12 on the phone. I mean, we don't know what phone she may have been on, whatever. I mean, that kind of just um, makes you stop and think, well, wait a second. But so then it's, it's the prosecution's uh, job to try and make her look unreliable. And I really, though, uh, you know, without like giving an opinion, um, just an observation, it did seem like Deborah Heflin was was a little unreliable because um at the time she was trying to get her kids in the car or like quote-unquote wrangling two kids and she just saw um someone walking down the street and then it wasn't until 2010 years you know a few years later that she saw Kapetsky was missing on the news and then she thought oh well that was that girl that I saw that one day and you know walking down the street on May 4th 2007 um So she says that she saw Cara just draw on the phone walking down the street and then, you know, going up the hill up Lacey. And then she said she saw a cream colored car drive by in that same direction. And she thought it might be a car full of boys just based on, you know, the loud sounds coming from the car. And that she heard, you know, shortly after, she heard like a blood curdling scream. So, you know, the, the state said, the prosecution said, like, you're, you know, how could you possibly have known for sure that it's her, you didn't call until years later, you know, Um, so that was, the jury did hear that one.
0: Sarah, was there anything else about today that stuck out to you? To me, it it kind of seemed like maybe the defense, I don't know if today was kind of a fluke or maybe they were. Unprepared or unorganized, but it seemed like it got off to a rocky start to me and kind of an odd day in court with the jury out of the room for a lot of the day. And also, you know, it was over before three. Um, so, was there anything else that stuck out to you?
1: No, just that. Um, there were, yeah, like you said in the beginning, there were a couple of witnesses who were no shows. And then um, one of them showed up. Um, but then the jury, did not get to hear that. Um, There's this girl who testified. um, And really though, I was kind of confused listening to it, but the judge was also confused about the, you know, what the relevance was. But it was just a a woman who who knew um, Anthony Armstrong. I think that that might be, um, she knew Anthony Armstrong, which is uh, Jessup Carter's cousin. Um, But she said something about going on, you know, Anthony Armstrong taking her home and she might've been assaulted, but it really didn't have anything to do with Jessup Carter. Like Jessup didn't have anything to do with it, even though he might've been, they might've been all hanging out earlier that night. And the judge was like, well, that's not really relevant at all. And so the jury is not going to hear that.
0: Yeah. So it seems like the defense is really trying to paint Jessup Carter in a certain light and maybe even pin these crimes on him. So, Sarah, thank you so much for running us through all of that. It was pretty pretty confusing day in court overall. Um, we get started again at eight thirty tomorrow morning. The defense said it is prepared to call sixteen witnesses, so probably a little bit of a longer day. It's also worth noting that the judge hopes to hear closing statements on Thursday. Um, and to our listeners, I want to give a reminder that you can find this and all of our other episodes, plus our daily live blogs and recaps at kshb.com slash use trial. I'd also encourage you to follow our reporters on Twitter. They're all doing a great job live tweeting using the hashtag use trial. And Sarah is at Sarah Blake TV. And we'll see you all back here tomorrow.